Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. You've arrived at the future of digital publishing. Welcome! In between taking our self-driving hover cars to soccer practice and comforting our emotional, artificially intelligent house robots after a particularly hard day, what will the future of digital publishing look like? There are lots of possibilities and lots of predictions as to what the future of digital publishing could look like. If you haven't yet seen IDEO's The Future of the Book, the link is available in the show notes at talkpaperscissors.info, please check it out now. Run, don't walk. It's incredible. It details three concepts for what the future of the book could look like, including Copeland, which allows users to connect within their professional networks to find new books and build shared libraries alongside their colleagues. And then there's Nelson, in which readers have access to multiple viewpoints and commentary within a digital book's interface, reinforcing the central role of books as carriers of knowledge. And lastly, there's Alice, facilitating non-linear and participatory narratives, turning traditional storytelling upside down with technologies like geolocation to unlock pieces of the story, allowing readers to enter into a whole new world. The one that intrigues me the most is Alice. Building on IDEO's initial concept, I think that enabling creative collaboration among online communities to reimagine works of literary fiction, especially works that are freely available for use in the public domain like, I don't know, The the Wonderful Wizard of Oz or The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, for example, This could reinvigorate these stories and find new audiences the world over. Furthermore, how cool would it be for readers to participate in non-traditional collaboration with long-deceased authors by adding sub-layers and new context to their stories, remixing and having a hand in our new world of participatory culture? Retelling a story with new media helping to create new narratives and crowdsourcing those new narratives, and then communicating them from the perspectives of the characters through digital media channels, perhaps commonly only those reserved for friends and family like texting or social media, could be an unparalleled experience in storytelling through digital means. One possible way I see it executed is to have the text exist on a website, for example, where the reader opts in at the beginning of the experience with their phone number and social media handles. As they read through the story, there are prompts throughout where they can hear from different characters via their devices. Imagine stepping into the world of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, for example, where as you're reading the story, the cowardly lion is sending you frazzled text messages about his need to find you ASAP, the scarecrow is sending you the latest Bernie Sanders meme, 
and the Tin Man's joints are too locked up to text until you geolocate to the nearest mechanic shop to re-lubricate his limbs before he can use his phone. Even Toto's in on the action. He's got his own Instagram following of nearly one million. So this could deepen connections between the characters and the readers, as well as between online fanfiction communities and the author's works. So while my interpretation of the technical rollout of a website is a little, I don't know, how do you say, basic, but I think this idea could be interwoven into current e-reading platforms and authors could even write their stories with these additional sublayers and interactions in mind. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book combined with fan fiction told through digital media and devices to deepen readers' connections to the story, authors, and their reading communities. While versions of this have already been tried, um, Seed Story and textbook Amy Krauss Rosenthal both come to mind, publishers have yet to go all in on this multi-layered, intertwined, collective storytelling experience. Perhaps it's telling that IDEO's The Future of the Book is now 11 years in the past. Feeling incredibly progressive and promising in 2010, no publisher has really run with any of these ideas. Perhaps the return on investment is too suspect, or the sheer magnitude of transforming a static story into a multi-layered, multifaceted narrative adventure isn't yet worth the effort or seen as necessary in order to compete. Whatever the case, I think there are still so many brave new worlds in digital publishing and digital book publishing in particular that haven't yet been explored in any way, shape, or form. While it's fun to dream up the possibilities of where the future of storytelling through digital publishing may lead, let's come back down to reality for a second. I've asked Jason Lisi, Chair of the School of Graphic Communications Management at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada, to join me in today's episode. He's a technical whiz in the world of the graphic arts, specifically as it relates to PDF standards. Jason is an active member of the Ghent Workgroup, whose work revolves around PDF and the standards that build on the PDF format. He is also a subject matter expert for the Organization of International Standardization, otherwise known as ISO, that develops and maintains the PDF and PDFX standards. We all know and love PDFs as a user-friendly, powerful file format for everyday personal and professional use. PDFs can be published printed, shared, used for collaboration, authenticated, and more, which makes them a powerhouse of a universal file format. They allow users to quite literally get on the same page, and PDFs play a huge role in the digital publishing landscape. So I've asked Jason to come here today to help us more thoroughly understand where the PDF is headed. Hi, Jason, and thank you so much for helping us better understand the future of digital publishing and for being here today with us. Thank you for inviting me. So I want to jump right into it. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself 
and your roles within the Ghent workgroup and the ISO. Absolutely. So my name is Jason Lisi, and I'm currently the chair of the School of Graphic Communications Management at Ryerson University in Toronto. And I'm also a professor within the school as well. I've been with Ryerson for almost 18 years. Uh, in 2011, um, I joined the Ghent Workgroup, which is uh, really a think tank of industry professionals that work together to create specifications for PDF. In 2013, the Ghent Workgroup elected me as documentation officer and chair of the documentation subcommittee. And that's a role that I kept with them for about six years. As documentation officer, I wrote several technical reports and white papers on PDF use and best practices, and really helped with the development of the Ghent Work Group or GWG uh, PDF specifications and test suites. Uh, it was an amazing experience, and I really got to work with some of the coolest and most passionate people I've ever met. Uh, I'm also currently with the uh, International Organization for Standardization, or the ISO. My role there is um, I'm the head of delegation and uh, committee co-chair of the Standard Council of Canada Mirror Committee to ISO TC 130. So TC 130, or Technical Committee 130, is the committee within ISO that deals with all standards for the graphic arts industry, including things like PDF, PDFX, PDF UA, and PDF VT. So in other words, you're a very big deal when it comes to PDF. Well, may maybe not me myself, <laughs> but a lot of the people that I work with are really big deals. It's really exciting to be in the room with you know people that have worked on uh, you know, projects like Adobe Acrobat from the very beginning. And, you know, just listening to them talk is absolutely amazing. In a technical nutshell, how does a PDF work? That's a great question. So a PDF is a file format, just like any other file format. If you think of a JPEG or a PNG or a TIFF file, there are a few things, however, that make PDFs really unique and useful for us, especially in the graphics industry. For one thing, PDF is an open standard, which means that if you're a software vendor, you can incorporate PDF as a file format into your products without having to pay really expensive royalty fees. So this is a pretty big deal and you know, really makes PDF available to a lot of different people. A uh, PDF file can consist of both raster and vector objects, which allows for key elements such as text and vector illustrations to remain resolution independent, which I think is really important. Uh, a PDF file, I think this is the most important, is platform agnostic. So it works equally as well on a Mac, a PC, a Linux, and so on. So I can create a PDF that I created on my Mac I can send it to you, Diana, you can open it up on your PC, and I know that you're going to see exactly what I'm seeing. And uh, last but not least, PDF is based on PostScript, which is a page description language. So it's got a lot of history within the architecture itself, which makes it really robust. In order to use a PDF file, you essentially need two things. 
You need software that can create a conforming PDF file and software that can properly render or display that PDF file. As for the PDF file itself, I like to think of it as a box or a container. Each element in that PDF file, so picture, text, line, etc., are se separate objects within the box. Uh, even though it's one PDF file, the objects within remain their own distinct entities. This object-based approach is really what allows us to do so many cool things with PDF and makes it such a dynamic file format. And I know that the PDF has a number of standards, many of which directly impact the world of digital publishing, which is what this series is all about. So in the first episode in this mini-series, I introduced listeners to three PDF standards that really affect digital publishing, so namely PDFX, PDF-UA, and PDF-VT. So can you help us better understand specifically PDFX and its importance to the world of printing and professional publishing? Yeah, I'd love to. So when we speak about PDF in general terms, we're actually referring to PDF as specified in the document ISO 32000, which is an ISO standard. ISO 32000, or PDF 2.0 as it's called right now, is a standard that's almost a thousand pages long. And it defines PDF in its most open and broad sense. So in other words, PDF as defined by ISO 32000 is the least restrictive of all forms of PDF, which is great because it allows us for, uh, to use PDFs for all sorts of cool things like interactivity, dynamic database linking, form filling, and uh, so much more. When it comes to print and publishing, however, uh, lack of restrictions can be a really bad thing. When I create a PDF file for a printer, I want to know that it's actually going to print the way that I intended it to look. Many of the cool features of PDF, as defined by the, the standard 32,000, would actually cause disaster for a file being prepared for print. Things like interactivity, multimedia, and so forth. So we need a way to ensure that the printer doesn't have a file that's gonna cause problems when they get onto press. And this is where PDFX comes into play. The best way to describe PDFX is it's really a subset of PDF. So in other words, a PDFX file must follow all the rules as defined by ISO 32000. However, the difference is that a PDFX file is restricted in the feature set of PDF to include only features that are acceptable for print production. By doing this, we can really eliminate a lot of the uncertainty and better predict the successful output of a PDF file. When a printer or publisher receives a valid PDFX file, there's a very strong probability that they'll be able to accurately and successfully reproduce that file as intended. And not just the physical appearance, but also things like color management. So making sure that colors are accurate, which of course is really important for things like brand identity. Thank you for that. That's very helpful. But I have to go back for a second to the ISO 32000 standard that's almost a thousand pages long. Have you ever read this document front to back? I have to know. More than more than once. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So what should 
digital publishers know about the PDF UA or Universal Access Standard? I would love to know your your take on that as well. Yeah, I think uh, PDF UA is extremely important as a standard because it really aims to make all PDF files accessible. When you create a PDF file that is um, PDF UA conforming, it means that anyone who requires the use of assistive devices will have unobstructed access to the contents of that PDF file. In addition, PDF UA files are generally compliant with Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG 2.0, except with you know, possibly the exception of complex files that have embedded movies, scripts, and so forth, which may need uh, a little more work behind the scenes. But it is a really big deal. And PDF UA, of course, as a standard, uh, fits in with all the other PDF standards. So it's very easy to take a PDF ET or PDF X file and make sure that it's PDF UA compliant. Accessibility is at the forefront of many people's minds when they uh, begin a project. Uh, and it it's really an important way that we in the design and digital document community can can harness that power of inclusivity and, and really show that we're committed to the cause. Yeah, and I, I would add to that. I think, you know, when you think large scale, you know, think uh, governments, for example, or, you know, large organizations who require on a, a huge library of PDF files, knowing that they can more easily meet accessibility guidelines with all their files in a single format, I think is really, really valuable. And how about PDF VT? So the variable and transactional printing standard. Can you tell us a bit more about that as well? Yeah, so PDF VT is actually really exciting. The thing I like about PDF VT is it really allows us to take variable data kind of to the next level. So there are many different variable data standards out there. PDFET is, is not by any means the only one, but it is very unique in that it does work natively with PDF in ways that other standards do not. And what makes PDFET so unique is it takes, um, it takes advantage of that object-based functionality of PDF that I told you about. And it uses that object-based functionality to really streamline and optimize the, the ripping and printing process. So let's say, for example, you have a thousand page PDF file that is variable data, but on every single page, it has the same image or the same logo. With PDFVT, as long as your RIP is PDFVT compliant, it will render that logo once and it'll keep it in um, in RIP stage. And then it will look, and if it sees the same logo again, it doesn't have to re-RIP it. So any object that is repeating more than once gets cached, which really speeds up your rendering time or your ripping time. Uh, and anybody who's done really complex or graphically heavy uh, variable data will tell you that usually it's not the speed of the printing that's the issue. It's how fast the front end can rip those files and keep up with uh, the process printing behind the scenes. So this is really critical. 
And it um, really lets us take advantage of something which we call room or rip once, output many. So it's a really neat uh, and fascinating standard. It's actually in its third rendition. So we're at PDF ET3. So it's really starting to mature as a standard and it's uh, exciting to see what it can do. It seems as though the PDF standard continually has new added features or, or variants. Are all of these bells and whistles necessary, do you think? Uh, in my opinion, I absolutely think they're necessary. You know, technology is constantly changing and evolving. And I think one of the reasons why PDF has remained so successful as a file format is it's been able to adapt and change as well. So there's a lot of new features in PDF that we couldn't do, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, which I think is really amazing. What's unique though, is PDF has been able to add all those bells and whistles, but still be able to uh, remain a format that is quite easily backwards compatible, which I think is very useful as well. So do you think that the rise of the use of mobile technology and, well, really the fact that PDFs aren't very user-friendly to read on mobile devices, if I've done it a few times and it's, uh, it's not the, the easiest thing to do, do you think it will impact the future of the PDF standard? Uh, in other words, do you see reliable reflow of information to be a key area of focus in the future to enable PDF text and layout to adapt to whatever device it's displayed on? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. So one of the reasons why PDFs are so valuable as a file format is the very fact that they're consistent with how they look across multiple devices, that device ag agnosticity that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, so imagine, for example, you had a, a legal document such as a government form. It's very important for that form to have specific formatting. And often there's instructions for the form that refer to specific areas on specific pages. And if that was allowed to dynamically flow like an EPUB does, for example, it would be very hard to, to retain that structure. Uh, so, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a challenge. In, in my own mind, I kind of think of PDF like a tool. And like all tools, you know, each tool is great for their purpose. You can have the most amazing screwdriver and you can love that screwdriver and it can be the best screwdriver you have, but it probably wouldn't do a good job at sawing through a piece of wood, right? I kind of see PDF the same way. Just like I would not expect an EPUB to behave as rigidly as a PDF file, I've never really thought of a PDF having to mimic an EPUB. Uh, having said that though, I mean, who knows what the future technologies and uh, renditions of PDF will bring. So maybe in a few years, we will have refilling PDFs that can have that fluidity, but still maintain that, um, that formality of format. Now I joked earlier, uh, speaking of the future, in a few years. I joked earlier about the future, uh, our future artificially intelligent house robots who will have to comfort after a hard day. But what role do you think that uh, AI will play, if any, in PDFs and digital publishing in the future? I, I honestly see no reason why AI would not play a role in the future of publishing. So right now there's uh, 
digital pub publishing systems that run on a model which we actually call Doom, which, which sounds kind of bad, but Doom is the principle of design once, output many. So in this sort of Doom architecture, think of having sort of raw text without any formatting at all, which has been meta tagged. And then based on the, the metadata that this text is tagged on, you can reflow chunks of text into basically templates. So you can reflow it into an email template for an email blast or a print template to print it or a web template for a web page. And this is really important because then you can have a central repository of data, like a newsfeed, for example, that you update once and then that update occurs across multiple platforms. So right now, the way that most of these systems work is that reflow or that direction of data is done by humans. But there's no reason to say as you know, AI evolves that it couldn't take over the space and decide you know, how that text should reflow and what the best text is to go into each area. And that's just one example of where AI really could uh, take a, a front seat in publishing. AI scares me, I'm not gonna lie, but the way you described it there, I, I think I can live with that. I think I can. I, I'm more, yeah, I'm more scared about cars that drive themselves. So. <laughs> Me too. I agree. So the PDF is a relatively young file format, born in the early '90s. So if the PDF were a human, and stay with me here, if the PDF were a human. Where in its life do you think it is currently? Is it a child? Is it a teenager? Is it an adult, middle-aged, receiving seniors discounts at thrift stores? Where is it and why? In my mind, I currently see PDF as a hip 20-something. And the reason why I say that is PDF has grown up and it's at its prime. It's confident from its past successes. PDF is full of energy and excitement and is ready to try new and bold things. While PDF is respectful of those who have helped us succeed, it's really ready to take on things to the next level and redefine the future. I appreciate you sticking with my and seeing through my, my PDF as a human analogy. That was an excellent description. I, I really enjoyed that. And I hope that PDF, unlike uh, perhaps myself, doesn't hit the the uh, quarter life crisis. I, hopefully that's not a thing in PDF's future. So in your opinion then, can the PDF live forever? Is it immortal? What do you think? Well, I think if there's any file format that could enjoy eternal life, it would be a PDF. And the reason why I say that is a PDF file can be read by so many different programs across so many different operating systems. It's not reliant on a proprietary format. And if you know that one particular vendor goes out of business, all of a sudden you can't access that file format anymore. You know, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but I have some uh, oldest freehand files that I can no longer access from the early 90s. I do, however, have PDF files that I created back in 1998 that I can still open today on my computer without any issues whatsoever. Uh, you know, when I think about it, there, there has to be a reason why so many large organizations and governments choose to archive all of their documents securely uh, using PDF files. And I think it's because they know it's just going to survive a long time. I agree. I, I absolutely agree that, as you said, because 
it can be read by so many different programs and so many different operating systems that if, if anything's going to live forever, uh, it's PDF and the cockroaches. They're going to be the, the two surviving things in this world. So uh, there's a little tradition, just to end off, there's a little tradition I have here on talk, paper, scissors with guests. So my final question for you, Jason, is this. If you could only use one typeface for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, definitely Comic Sans. Oh. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I really like Avenir. And the reason why I like Avenir is, at least for me, every rendition from light through to heavy seems so aesthetically pleasing. I really find it works well in large display sizes, but also as small text and uh, for sustained reading as well. For me, it's kind of like the Swiss army knife of typefaces. I like that description. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. And thank you for everybody out there listening. Hopefully you've learned a little bit more about the technical side of PDF files, as well as where we're headed in the future in the world of PDFs and more broadly, digital publishing. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode is in the books. Thank you so much for hanging out today. And I can't wait until the next time we get to talk paper scissors. (laughs) 